0: You don't have to look far to find hostility. Even at the Olympics, where nations are supposed to compete in a spirit of unity and harmony, the war rages over judges. Our Truth Encounter study leader, Dave Wordson, shares with us that there is one person who can and will bring us peace, and he is in the center of the New Testament book of Ephesians. You're going to hear it throughout your life. There's going to be peace in our time. And that was a very strong statement that was made. Peace in our time. That was before World War II. And then World War II broke out. And then I heard after the Berlin Wall fell down and the communist bloc came in, we can throw away all of our weapons because now there's going to be peace in our time. And suddenly the whole world exploded again. And Mogadishu and all those events took place after that. 9-11 and the war in Iraq. It just never ceases. But I want to talk to you about a peace that's going to be in his time. I want to talk to you about a piece that's in the Lord Jesus' time. And I also want to talk to you about, there's a part of you as a human being that really focuses on places. I want you as a church family to never be focused on buildings. I don't want you to be focused on this hill. There's nothing sacred about this hill. This isn't the sanctuary. Some of you are from religious backgrounds. Now, I don't want to put a guilt trip on you, but you often use the word of the sanctuary. Sanctuary means a sanctified place. If you are Muslim, then that's true. You want to go to a sanctuary, which is the the Mosque of Ali, and that's your holy place. If you're Islamic, that's very important. In fact, there's several holy places, with the ultimate holy place being Mecca. But I want to talk to you about the holy place in the world today. And you might not guess where it is, but I want you to know that it's really important for you to understand that there is a holy place where peace is to reign. There's supposed to be a holy place. You see, the idea of a holy place is that's where God lives. That's where God dwells. That's where God is. The holy place is the place where there's peace and there's mercy and there's the grace of God. For example, in the Old Testament, there was a holy place. It's called the temple. And if you were Joab in the reign of Solomon, early in the reign of Solomon, Joab wanted to find deliverance and wanted to be protected because he had murdered a man. So he ran to the the horns of the altar and grabbed a hold of that place because he said, this is the holy place that will protect me. But it didn't because he was a murderer. And Solomon took him away and killed him because of his brutal murderous violence. But the temple in the, in the Old Testament was a holy place that you could go to and you could be close to God and, and you could get near to him and you could bring your sacrifices. We've been learning the book of Ephesians. We close this book. This is one of the most important and it's one of the, the major distinctive messages of the book of Ephesians is that now that Jesus has come, now that Jesus has redeemed us by his blood, which is the phrase Paul uses, Jesus now has created a new holy place. He's created a new temple. He's created a new building. And you know what the temple is? You know what the building is? It's you. It's every single one of you. If you are a little five-year-old child that received the Lord Jesus into your heart, then you become the place where Jesus dwells. If you are in your 80s and suddenly you hear that Christ died on the cross for our sins, Christ rose again, and you invite this personal Jesus to come into your life, and in your 80s, suddenly you become the holy place. And, and we, that's something we've taught in Midlothian Bible Church from the very beginning, but it's a very fragile piece. And I want you to know that you're not only the holy place, but you unite with a whole bunch of other individuals Down through the centuries, since the first century, into the present. It's going to continue into the future. It is the place where God is raising up living stones, which is what Ephesians talks about. It pictures you as being like a living stone, a living brick, a living piece of mortar that's building up this holy temple. That's not made with steel and mortar and brick, but it's made with your life and your personality and you're all blended together. And I want to share with you the great vision that the Apostle Paul has is that this now, this living temple even calls you the temple of God. He called you the household of God. What Paul says is that that temple is composed of red and yellow, black and white. It's not just Midlothian Bible Church. or It's not just First Baptist. It's not just the Presbyterian Church. It's not just all the different churches throughout the world and and individual ones. It's all of those, every individual in the world, that believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and rose again. They have become part of this temple and yet to be honest with you as I closed the book of Ephesians this week and as, as Paul puts the letter in Tychicus's hands and, and now we've read it and Paul tells it to encourage in fact if you look at the end of the book he tells Tychicus that he's written this letter to encourage us and so I would pray that you would be encouraged he closes it by saying Tychicus the dear brother at the end of chapter 6 the faithful servant of the Lord will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. He says this as he closes the letter, peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Paul, unlike my own winding down often of a message or of a letter that I write, I often just you know, say something that doesn't mean anything. But the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, when he closes this letter, it's like he reminds us of some of the major heartbeats that the Spirit of God has laid upon his heart. The first one is this idea of peace to the brothers. And I want to be honest with you. I've been raised in churches like Midlothian Bible churches. I've, I've been exposed to what we call evangelicalism and the true meaning of evangelicalism is that you believe in the evangel, you believe in the good news about Jesus, and you believe that you need to receive Jesus Christ personally. But one of the things that really troubles me is that Paul writes, peace be to you, but among my brothers and sisters that supposedly believe in Jesus and supposedly invite him into the heart, I don't see a lot of peace. Peace. In fact, if I were going to turn away, like if I were going to fall away from the faith, I would fall away from the faith because I would use the history of the way that those that say they believe in Jesus have peace in their hearts and they're supposed to be unified together. The book of Ephesians pictures us as one family. And yet the truth of the matter is, what I look at the reality of church history is that we don't treat each other like that. In fact, we don't have a much better history than the Islamic people. The Shiites kill the Sunnis. The Sunnis kill the Shiites. But we do the same thing. Roman Catholics kill the Protestants. The Protestants kill the Roman Catholics. Just think of your own heart. When you go to a different city, let's suppose you're on vacation, And there's not a Bible church in that town. You look around, there's not a Bible church. And so maybe you're staying with some relatives that go to a different church. Almost all of you will choose, and I'm the same way. I feel in my heart, well, I'm not going to go. Why? Because they're not my people. They're not my people. Especially if they sing a little bit different songs or if they have a little bit different style of worship, then automatically we start having divisions. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever feel that? One of the things that the Apostle Paul is saying is that that starts to produce a barrier. In fact, whenever I meet somebody, like when I meet somebody, there can be a barrier. For example, I can share how subtle this is. Like we've, we helped to found a Waxachi Bible Church. Dave Lowry and Deb and Jimmy and Marilyn and Jerry and Vera Wofford, a whole bunch. We sent about 50 of our people over there in the early days of our church to get a church started. Ray Pritchard had started a Bible study there and we prayed and we founded that church. But you know what? I can feel divided from them. For example, when I hear how the Lord's blessing them and, and I'm overeating at Chili's over there and, and I ask them, say, where do you go to the church? They say, man, we're going to Walk Wachtachtree Bible Church and it's exploding and it's exciting and the Spirit's really working me. And there's a part of me that says, you gotta see what's happening in Midlothian Bible Church. And why don't you come to a church that's really good? That's wrong. That's wrong. Every one of your hearts... Every one of your hearts, I want you to think about it. How do you feel about your brothers and sisters in Christ? As I think about your backgrounds, like some of you really have been raised as Roman Catholics. That's really the case. We have people, for example, who will come to a service and they'll hear us and then they'll go to a Roman Catholic church. What we want to be concerned about is, do you know Jesus personally? Are you trusting in his blood? Are you trusting in his resurrection? That's what's important. A lot of you are from a Baptist group. So like when we went to Burleson for a funeral, it was a Baptist culture. The pastor had on his Baptist coat and tie. He said his Baptist thing. In fact, I could just listen to five minutes and say he's a Southwestern graduate, Southwestern Seminary, because there's a whole style. Just like when I start talking, you'll go Howie Hendricks, Dallas Theological Seminary. You see, we all have our culture. And you know, there's a part of me that I was sitting there going, well, this is going to be a great evening just a Baptist thing. That's wrong. And here I am in First Baptist of Burleson, and the Holy Spirit has touched hearts and its teachings reality. What I want you to know is that I have total unity with my brothers and sisters there. How about you? That's what Paul means by peace. That's what Paul means when he talks about Grace. I want you to be able to go into high church context. And if people know Jesus, I want you to be able to recite liturgies to the glory of your father in heaven. And I want it to move your heart. A lot of you are from a charismatic background. The way you are raised, some of you have very strong animosity towards that background. I want you to face what goes on in your heart because, because the Lord Jesus wants you to realize that he's broken down those barriers and there needs to be peace. And a whole lot of you say, well, Dave, I don't have any tradition. I just came to know Jesus, so I'm just starting out brand new. That's awesome. As we close the book of Ephesians, I believe that the Holy Spirit wants us to be a church family where all those denominational barriers crash. They come down. The walls come down. And we don't respond to the feeling in our heart, well, I don't like that because that's not the way I was raised. We're just asking, is Jesus honored here? Is Jesus loved here? Is the truth about Jesus being proclaimed? Are we being encouraged to respond to that? Does that make sense? That's the major distinction of the book of Ephesians. In the other Pauline epistles, Paul talks about individual churches like the church of rome the church of corinth and the church of philippi and it is very important for you to identify with midlothian bible church like you need like you need to be in a local church somewhere you know that you can't just be part of the ethereal body of christ and sit and watch tv you need to have real life flesh and blood brothers and sisters that's a very important new testament idea but that needs to always be held in the context of this incredible, wondrous thing. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will work so strong on us that we'll have such peace together. That we'll have such peace together. Like when it says, Peace be with the brothers and sisters. There's tremendous forces, I'm just being honest with you, that work in human hearts. And I might have to do a message in the next couple years... Do you remember what color it is on the building? But you know what? The Son of God already knows what the color should be in the building. The way that this piece works, I'm trying to get you, this is the way you need to think. Like, as you pull wire, and people are making decisions about that. Some of you that really work with the young people, you feel like, well, why didn't they ask me about that? You know, those idiots... You know, man, I know more. I'm the one that's working with them. They, they made all these decisions. You know, we don't even need that. And you start to feel this. <laughs> See, this is where, this is really where the Spirit of God has to work. Because those are the nutty things that cause us as born-again believers. Like I even heard today, well I, you know, I, I, well, I won't leave the church over that. Because of what we learned in Ephesians, we don't ever leave. Because the Holy Spirit has poured out peace In our hearts. In fact, it's one of Paul's major images. The idea of peace means that the hostility between us and God has been satisfied in the cross of Jesus. Amen. It all goes back to the cross. And he buried. He took all the animosity that we have and he buried it with him, and he has made us who are now free to live in resurrection power. And therefore, we have peace with God and we have peace with one another. As I grow older, I want to get more intimate. I want to get more close with Mary, with my kids, with you, with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to love you more. I don't want to look back at days when we had real peace and real grace and real joy in the Lord. I want it to be multiplying so that when I'm 90, that I'm still rejoicing and dancing and praise because I found so much love in a body of Christ. We can do this. Maybe the whole, and I believe that the Holy Spirit's working this, but, but I believe it doesn't make any difference whether every other believer, like Tim and I, to make another concrete example, Tim and I are from a background that rejects the way that we teach in our church family, the grace that we emphasize, the fact that we let women come with pants, and sometimes even you know, with some of the teenagers, and some of the adults will wear shorts. And by the way, if it's hot, feel free. We don't wear coats and ties. Some people, that's like anathema, the music that we do. It's easy for me to feel in my own heart to say, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. You've hurt me so much. You've rejected me so much. You've mocked me so much. I just don't want to. Like when the Lord asked me to teach in some of those situations, now I feel like I don't want to do that anymore. But I can't do that. They're my brothers and sisters. And I'm going to be with them forever and ever and ever. And if I don't allow forgiveness, if I don't allow reconciliation to control the way that the Holy Spirit uses my gift of teaching, it doesn't make any difference whether an audience responds to me or not, whether they believe what I'm saying is true or not. That doesn't make any difference. What makes a difference if it's the truth of God's holy word. And there's tremendous power in that. And so I want us to be a church family that we, we reach to the right, we reach to the left, and man, we focus on the triune God. So as we close this book, that's what the Apostle Paul wants us to experience, this peace and the, and the love that we have, and which is going to come from faith in God, the Father, through God the Son. I want to try to just summarize the major thoughts of the book now as we close, just so you'll, I think it's good when you finish reading a letter for us to just think it through. And what I want you to realize is that in chapter 1... Amazingly, the Apostle Paul focuses on the Trinity. Now, when you hear the theological term Trinity, it's and this is the basis of our peace and our grace and our mercy that we're going to have towards one another. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul begins with a vertical focus and a blessing of God the Father. And he blesses God the Father. Those of you that were with us, we've studied about the Apostle Paul suddenly broke into praise and worship. In verse 3, when he says, Praise be to God. Now what he praises God for is that, you're, that is that God has now become your heavenly daddy and he has blessed you with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. What I want to underscore to you is that the Apostle Paul goes on and says he roots God's choice of you, he roots God's election of you, he roots it even before creation. Now some of you have gotten in fights over predestination and election and some of you are from free will churches and some of you are from predestinated churches and what I want you to know is that that's not the point of the book of Ephesians. That's not why Paul wrote the letter for us to fight together or to argue intellectually about what predestination means. Paul's point is he wants you to rest secure that your heavenly father is in control. And that salvation is rooted in the plan of his son. If you've invited Christ into your heart, you were in the heart of God before there was even the world as we know it today. That's Paul's point. And he wants you to rest in that security. He wants you to rest in that choice. He wants you to rest in that blessing. He also wants you to realize that that choice and that election and that that position now in being able to call God your Father is because the Son of God has redeemed us. Paul moves from the blessing of God the Father who has ordained us and predestined us and made us his child and that was rooted in his heart from the beginning of time. He goes right into the historical reality, but we have been redeemed through the blood of Christ, which is Paul's shorthand way to bring all the passion of Christ before our eyes and before our hearts then the apostle paul closes that with the third person of the trinity sealing us with the holy spirit he speaks about reminding you he says having believed when you believed would be a way to translate it when you believed in the redemptive work of christ you were sealed you have been sealed by the holy spirit And so right in the very first paragraph, really it's one sentence of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul had the entire Father, Son, and Holy Spirit actively blessing you, actively forgiving you, actively sealing you. That leads him to break into thanksgiving in the second part of chapter one with a thanksgiving for you. He thanks the Lord Jesus every time he remembers the Ephesians that had trusted in him. And the same thing is true as we read the book. We need to be thankful for one another that you've been moved to faith, that you've been moved to love, that you've been moved to receive Christ. And he closes his incredible thanksgiving by talking about the fact that that Jesus is going to sum up everything. And this is something that's very important in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians says if you hang on to Jesus... Whatever happens in the world, if you hang on to Jesus, ultimately, it's going to be okay. Because what it's saying is that one day, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be everything. He's going to be the total king of the universe. So he's not Muhammad. He's not Moses. He's not Hare Krishna. He is not like any other religious leader. And one of the things Ephesians challenge us to do is that one day there will be Olympic Games And instead of having all the background of paganism and and, and different, you know, the Norse gods, if it's in Norway, and the old Greek gods, if it's it's in Athens, one day the whole world is going to have an Olympics and Jesus is going to be at the center of the stadium and everybody's going to be saying, just like you did this morning, praise to Jesus, we love you, Lord. And you need to believe that because most of the world doesn't believe that, but that's what Ephesians says. So you decide, I have to decide, Will I trust in human beings? Will I trust in other philosophies? Or will I believe that one day everything unites together in Christ? And then what blows my mind is that Paul has the audacity of saying Jesus is going to be the summing up of everything. God the Father will sum up everything in him. And then he says that you as the believers in, in him, the Son of God, you complete him. He's the head and he introduces his image that Christ is the head of this living body. So you become the one that fulfills, just like a wife completes her husband, just like a wife fulfills her husband, you complete Christ. And the, and the wonder that, I want to pray that that's going to build in our midst. In chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, okay, let's remind ourselves of where we've been. In chapter 2, we find out the terrible problem that we have. And it, and it says that things are really bad. It talks about being dead. It talks about being, being uh, living just for our senses. It talks us as being, being hard in ignorance. How many of you have ever talked to somebody and as you're trying to talk to them about the Lord, there is no response at all. How many of you have ever gotten discouraged? Because as you talk to somebody about the love of Christ, that he died on the cross for their sins, that he rose again from the dead, how many of you ever had someone, there's just no connection at all. Anybody ever have that? Isn't that really discouraging? Yeah. When I speak to an audience and there's no response at all, that's really discouraging. But what we need to realize is rather than getting, you know, saying, well, I'm going to be quiet. I'm not going to say anything. Our whole job is that we cry out to dead people, come alive. And the way we do that is we say, Lord Jesus, you rose again from the dead. These people are dead. You can raise them from the dead. That's what Ephesians 2 is talking about. And to prove that it actually happens, the Apostle Paul is saying, how many of you remember a day in this audience when you were dead in your sins? How many of you remember when you didn't respond to Jesus? When you couldn't care less about the word of God? When prayer wasn't your big thing? How many of you remember a day like that? And how many of you say, well, that's not the way it is anymore. Now I really love Jesus. Raise your hand. You see, you are that this is what a church is about. We demonstrate resurrection power. And what Ephesians 2 is telling us, don't you ever forget, what we really need is the resurrection power that's talked about in chapter 1 because the problem is much bigger than we think. We think the problem in our land and the problem in people's lives is they don't have very good identities. So if we teach them about their identity, we teach them they really care for themselves, we teach them how important they are, then they'll be really great. And then they bring pistols to school and high school to try to kill us. Why do they do that? Because in deep inside of us, we are murderous and we're violent and we hate each other and we want to destroy each other. And so if you tell us, oh man, you know, you're fine and everything's great and you don't talk about resurrection power, then you end up with a bunch of people that are feeling really, really good about their self-identities as desiring to do what is selfish and what is murderous, what is angry, all those things. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2, but there's a new message. Jesus Christ has brought resurrection power. As you move into chapter 3, which is really the heartbeat of this book, chapter 3 talks about a major division in the first century, which was a division between Jews and Gentiles. You know, In the world today, one of the major, major divides is between Jews and Gentiles. If you were raised in a, in a culture where there's a lot of Jewish people, it's a major distinction. And the whole idea in the United States today is that there are Jewish people and they do their thing. There are Christian thing, people that do their thing. There are Islamic people that do their thing. There are Hindu people that do their thing. We're becoming a pluralistic society. Don't get angry about that. As born-again believers... The Lord doesn't want you to feel like the Islamic people are the enemy. He doesn't want you to feel that the homosexual group of people, they're the enemy, or the Jewish people are the enemy. You say, Dave, what are you talking about? They are the ones. They're the ones that are... when When you start thinking like that, you don't understand what Ephesians 3 is telling us about. Ephesians 3 says that when Jesus died on the cross... When Jesus died on the cross, he took all of the division between these people. He took all the animosity that develops naturally because we're sinners against one another. And Jesus took all the penalty for that and he nailed it to the cross. And he went and he tore down, symbolically, he tore down the walls in the temple. He tore down the veil into the Holy of Holies. It said in Ephesians, it had the audacity of saying, he abolished the law through his death. You know what that means? One of the major things that divide us is eating. You don't even think about that. But like if if you're a vegetarian and I'm a meat eater, like a lion, and I want to take you to Outback Steakhouse, we're divided. If you're a real committed vegetarian, then you're divided from me because you think I'm really hurting my body. And I think that you're hurting your body because you're not getting enough protein and we'll start fighting with each other and then we can't eat together anymore. And those are real divisions. And in the early church and in, in, in the present church today, Jews had all these kosher food laws. They had all this stuff that they, and they also had major holidays and all that kind of stuff and it was according to the law of the Old Testament. And it divided them from having fellowship with Gentiles. And you read Ephesians chapter three, the apostle Paul says, that's all gone. I don't want there to be, I don't want there to be any more divisions. And you know what he says? He had the adaptive saying because Jesus, when he rose again from the dead, made a new man, a new group, a new people. You know who you are? You are the bride of Christ. If you're from a Jewish background, we celebrate your culture. We love to eat your food. And we'll, we'll even, if, if we'd love to celebrate your holidays. Racially, it does the same thing. But what he's saying is that we, this is one of the most mind-boggling messages in the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul saying in Ephesians 3 that now through the death and the resurrection of Christ, God has created a new man. So there aren't, it's not like we have an idea that there's Jews and Christians and Hindus and Buddhists. The scripture says that there's only those that are dead in their sins and then those that are made alive in Jesus Christ. Amen? There are those that are dead in their sins, and there's those that are made alive in Christ. And when you're made alive in Christ, then all the racial distinctions are not important. All the religious distinctions are not important. What's important is that we, in deep in our soul, are in love with Jesus. You say, well, Dave, man, that's just not going to work. You know, that's a radical message. Well, that was a really radical message in the first century. And to be honest with you, it's a message that the church hadn't lived out very well. Because in Christendom today, even within our circles, there's not a recognition of unity. And then there's a recognition of unity. We have what's called the ecumenical movement that's built on the lowest common denominator. And often it can eliminate the blood of Christ. It can often, often eliminate the resurrection of Christ. It can eliminate the deity of Christ. And it's said that we're just gonna be good old boys and men, women that love each other based upon the lowest common denominator. It's like a gooey sentimental feeling when we hear you know, God bless America or God bless something or we need to love each other. Then we all respond to that. We'll be one. And that's where the world is. What Ephesians is saying, that we need to believe that the Father is at work through His Son, through the Spirit. And I believe that there's another way you can look at it. I believe around the world that there are people like yourselves that are reading a book like Ephesians. And it causes them to fall in love with Jesus. And then they love each other. Now that's all. Chapter 1 is the blessing of the Father. The redemption of the Son. The sealing of the Holy Spirit, which generates this new unified body. Chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, okay, how should you live? And in chapter 4, he starts talking about the way that we live together as individuals. That's his major point in chapter 4. All the way into chapter 5, he talked about how you should get along, and he talked about all those things, being humble, being gentle, being forgiving to one another, not cussing each other out, not using unwholesome words, all those practical admonitions. One of the things that I've been asking myself as I study the book of Ephesians, am I growing in those qualities? And, and so I'd challenge you to pray through those practical sections and ask yourself, Lord, how is this fleshing itself out? What's my spirit doing on the inside? So we have the individual life, the individual walk. And then we got to that famous passage on marriage. We have our walk in our families. And then we have our walk in the world where we end with all that stuff about spiritual warfare. But it's a warfare that's not warring in our own strength, but it's warring by receiving the gifts of life that the Lord has given us. So this is an incredible book. As I I close the book of Ephesians this week, I feel like, well, now we're ready to study it. I finally know a little bit of what's going on. But I would pray that one of the things that we finish a book, like a lot of Bible church people feel like, all right, we close the book. We've got the book of Ephesians down. No, we don't. I had a lady years ago tell me, you know, well, I've already studied that book. It was another book of the Bible. I've already covered that. And what was nutty about that is that I had just finished studying that book with one of the world-famous scholars on that particular area. And when we finished the study, he said what I'm saying. You know, hey, we've only just barely begun. I challenge you that we need to be reading the Word of God individually. I can never teach you enough Sunday morning to feed you and to keep you strong. So what I want to challenge you to do is you need to take this book of Ephesians. I've been doing it the last several days. I've been reading the book over and over again. And the Holy Spirit uses that. You can read through the book in about an hour. And what the Holy Spirit does is he he lays some of these major ideas and he starts to talk to your heart about the blessing of your daddy, about the incredible redemption that the Son of God provided for you, about the sealing with the Holy Spirit, about what our unbelieving people, what their condition really is, and then how we need to respond to our new calling in Christ. And I would pray that as we close the book of Ephesians, that we would always be going back in the book of Ephesians and keep asking, the Lord, to produce this grace, this peace, and to help our faith in Jesus to keep growing. Let's pray. Father, we've talked uh, concretely about the need for peace with our brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that, that as my brothers and sisters leave and spread out into the world that there would be a lack of animosity towards any group that there would be forgiveness that there would be an expression of unity you're going to give us opportunities this week to be with brothers and sisters that go to other churches and i pray lord that rather than being competitive that we would bless them i pray that that as we spread out when we hear about other parts of the body of christ i pray that you would help me and help my brothers and sisters to really remember that we're united with them. That's our family. And help us to enter into their rejoicing, enter into their needs, and to pray for them. Help us not to be quick to try to one-up them on on what you're doing in our own midst. Father, I also pray, Lord, that um, you would help us in the practical section when chapters 1 through 3 talks about our calling and talk about all the heavenly things you've done for us. But chapters 4 through 6 talk about how it fleshes it out in everyday living. And so we want to just kneel before you. We ask that you will give us evidence of your resurrection power in helping us to get along and continuing to maintain the unity of the spirit that we've had. And we want to pray that that would even increase, Lord, that there'd be even a greater unity and a greater passion. Lord, I pray that um, you would use Midlothian Bible Church, each one of us as individuals, to be agents of grace, to be agents of peace. Lord, I know that a lot of my brothers and sisters, as I really stressed today, that the church is not a building, it's not a particular denomination, but it's this incredible, heavenly, chosen people that reaches down through the centuries and is reaching all over the world this morning and will prevail against the evil one. It's this invisible body of Christ, the universal body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And I pray now that as we close this letter that we would be encouraged and that you would help us to um, become even more blessed by you as our daddy in heaven and help us to become even more passionate towards unbelievers who don't know this life yet that we've received and they don't know this incredible resurrection power that can live inside of them. In Jesus' name we pray.